I think there are two kinds of people when it comes to musicians in bands. There are the people who see it as strictly an occupation. It's their vocation that they were chosen to carry out. To them, it's like working at a desk, driving a truck, waiting a table, etc., etc. When the show is over or the tour is over, they punch out. And seriously, more power to them. The other kind of musicians are the ones who still have stars in their eyes. Sure, it's a job. You've got to work hard and be diligent. But the magic and sway of the music biz still holds them captive. No matter what they've seen behind the curtains, they still get starstruck and love the music just as much as they did when they were teenagers. And I consider myself part of this second group. No matter how long I've been in a band and no matter how much garbage I've seen behind the scenes, I'm still caught up in it. When I meet someone that made an indelible impression on me when I was discovering music, I consider it a big deal. Now, reactions are different for different people. Some people get too shy and never approach the person. Some people get too friendly and outstay their welcome and overstep their boundaries. For me, I keep a respectful distance, but am never too shy to approach someone and tell them I'm a fan of theirs. I think it's nice when people do that to me, and I never shrug it off or take it lightly. It's an incredible feeling having total strangers approach you to hand you a compliment. After all the browbeating one gets online, it's definitely restorative. But when I'm on a supposedly peer level with someone, I feel the boundaries are a little looser. After all, we might be both backstage, behind the scenes together, and there's a tendency to feel a little more confident and determined than otherwise. There have been a few times where I've walked away from a moment or a meeting with someone I admired, replaying what just transpired over and over again in my head, regretting what I said or did. But truth be told, it probably didn't seem like much to the other party. And that's what I've always felt when it came to Tommy Victor, lead singer and guitarist for the mighty, legendary band Prong. I met Tommy in 2002 when we played with Prong for a Visions Festival in Dortmund, Germany, along with Queens of the Stone Age. After that, whether it was Tommy playing in ministry or Tommy playing with Danzig, I would always make it a point to go up to him and say hi and sheepishly try and start a conversation. He would be nice, he would endure me, and that would be it. But I wore him down. And I'm so now, I'm, I'm, today, I'm, I'm so happy to say Tommy Victor is a friend. Everyone has those bands that they've kind of felt more than fandom for. It's almost a weird, creepy ownership because you love them so much. Strangely, this is how I felt about Prong. Their 1990 album, Beg to Differ, is one of my favorite albums of all time. When I discovered it, I was at a crossroads. Heavy metal was already getting boring and stagnant to me. I was getting into other bands that eventually got eaten up by the whole MTV alternative post nevermind world. But back then, everything was fresh and everything was ripe for the taking. With Beg to Differ, Prong bridged these two worlds together and pointed at what could be and what was around the corner. 
It was metal, but it incorporated all kinds of industrial elements, and for lack of a better term now, alternative elements. I was hooked, and it kept me interested in metal for longer than I would have been. Eventually, Prong struck gold with their song Snap Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck off of 1994's Cleansing album. They put out a couple more albums and disappeared, re-emerging in 2003 with Scorpio Rising. But it wasn't until their 2007 album, Power of the Damager, that I got taken up by them again. What a record. And with last year's X No Absolutes, Prong have proven they're stronger heavier and better than ever. They even have a new album in the works for a 2017 release. Sometimes a band can write songs that just sync with your taste and what you unconsciously look for in music. And Prong are one of those bands for me. Tommy Victor has a knack for writing tunes and melodies that sink under my skin and stay there. This episode was recorded on a recent stop to Toronto while they were touring with Sepultura and Testament. That evening while watching Prong, former podcast guest and celebrated metal scribe Kevin Stewart Panko leaned over to me and said something to the effect of, say what you will, but these guys aren't given enough credit for creating new metal. And I agreed. Although it can be a divisive and critical thing to say, given the hostility the new metal genre musters, Kevin and myself didn't mean it as a put-down. Prong were never a new metal band. Let's get that straight. But they certainly inspired the genre. Inspiring and even founding a genre is a distinction few bands can claim. No matter what your opinion on new metal, Prong deserve the esteem and the respect in the heavy music world. In fact, all those new metal bands owe Tommy Victor a huge royalty check. I'm so glad this episode happened. I'm a huge fan. And to do it at the back of their tour bus as a, as a prong fan, that's like winning the MTV Lost Weekend with Van Halen. I want to thank Blue Mike Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones for supporting this podcast. And for everyone who has left a rating or a review on iTunes, thank you very much. Thanks for just listening to the episodes. If you haven't left a rating or a review, please do so if you can. Okay, here's my talk with the one and only Tommy Victor of Prong on the official Danko Jones podcast. And it starts... Now! The Dango Jones Podcast is the best around! They play the kiddies, take us, go out, tell them for free, I'm sad, glad I like to sometimes! Take me in from fucked up, stop playing, hang down, down! They told him he was too crazy to rock and roll. But now, he's gonna talk their ears off. It's the official Danko Jones Podcast. Danko's got a podcast, and he won't shut up. Danko Jones has a podcast. It's called the Danko Jones Podcast. La da 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 da. La da 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 da. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones Podcast starts. So, Tommy, I'm in the back of your bus here. We're in Toronto, 
And I just wanted to start because after you emailed me, I started thinking about prong. Like now it's in my in the front, you know, of my brain. Um, and I remember the first time I saw prong was in Toronto at a club called the Diamond Club. You were opening up for Pantera with Mind Over Four. You were okay. second of three. You remember that tour? I remember the tour, but I don't remember that show. I mean, that tour, how could you not remember being on tour with Pantera? I mean, uh, it was just insanity every day. So, uh, and then we did several tours with them. But, right. uh, but I mean, it was uh, Cowboys from Hell. Okay. I couldn't see Pantera, but me, we came to see you guys because I loved Beg to Differ. I like Cowboys from Hell, but I loved Beg to Differ because Pantera were on when my last bus was leaving. So I couldn't stay for Pantera. Oh, hi. Nah. Oh, no, 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 no do no, it. Come on. Okay. You need to get this? I'm sorry about that. It's that, no, right? It's a uh, big animal bag. Like it's oh, fuck. Fuck. Yeah. You want me to get it? Uh, no, this you one? won't be able okay. to grab that. <laughs> oh, really? It's really, like really heavy. Okay, shit, man. I'm done. Hey Derek, you know I could I could have grabbed that. I'm pretty strong. Derek Green is making an appearance on the podcast. Yeah, so alumni. Yeah. <laughs> podcast alumni. See you later. Have All a good right. one, guys. Thanks, man. Um, so. Uh, so I was saying that the first time I saw Prong was in a, a club called the Diamond Club. You guys were on tour with Pantera and Mind Over Four. And that club was renovated and turned into the Phoenix. Are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. I mean, at least we got some history because we're playing the Phoenix tonight. And it's with uh, Sepultura. And that, and that relays into the fact that we were on tour with Sepultura and Pantera at one time, too. So interesting coincidence. Yeah. Cycles. Yeah, basically, uh, they renovated it so the club can be three times bigger. They put the stage on the other end. So the club was like, you know, a third of what it is now. Okay. I mean, you know, even though Pantera and you guys were, you know, breaking, um, it was, uh, I think it could fit about 500 people, maybe 400 people. I think Phoenix can fit like 1,200. Yeah, no, it looks like a nice place. I mean, I don't rec recollect that it, that gig or anything but uh that's interesting yeah um but you guys did that tour mind over four yeah. open yeah so yes. it was yeah and then i saw you again on the beg to differ tour again and it was in a crazy club out east that was far from downtown but there's a lineup up outside and it was you guys i can't remember the opening band really yeah and i mean uh there's always so many problems getting over the border, especially back in those days, that, that uh, sometimes they forget the gigs because it was such a hassle getting over here. But. Well, I, I, I brought my uh, SLR, my 35 millimeter, because I was trying to get into film school. Oh, wow. So I took photos of you. I put that in my portfolio to get into film school, and I got into film school. Wow. Yeah. So that's amazing. I didn't even know you had a film background. Uh, yeah, I did about four years, but I mean, I'm in music, so four, it's four all. A lot. I know, but it's all forgotten. It, you know, this is just on the verge of everything going digital. So everything that I learned was analog, and it's well, kind of obsolete. Because I went to audio school, and I, I would be splicing tape. I mean, yeah. the editing, like, and and I'd be in a room for eight hours splicing tape, and you know, like, what would take 
at least a week to do takes five minutes now with digital technology. And so it was all useless, inevitably. Yeah, and that, that kind of is the thing when I first heard about Prong. <clears throat> this was before Beg to Differ came out. You guys were... Uh, eventually, you kind of moved towards a more... Uh, I guess they call it what you maybe you self-describe as groove metal or metal, but in the beginning, yes. uh, it was more of an industrial, alternative, heavy kind of band, and that's what I saw you guys as. There's like an alternative show. This was before alternative, before Nevermind. Alter- exactly. I mean, it was. We were talking about that last night. I had a discussion with somebody about that, and uh, I mean, people were saying, "Oh, prong is the next big thing," and then, and I was like, "I don't know." And then, then grunge came along, and that wiped the slate clean. So, yeah. I mean, we were uh, on the cusp of something. I mean, we were, we were uh, a hardcore band that had add, added noise, and we found out about thrash metal, and uh, we're on the lower side of Manhattan, and just threw all this stuff into a pot, and then uh, that's where Prong was. I mean, it was a combination of, like, Discharge, Swans, and, and Celtic Frost, and et cetera, so... Um, you know, then we stylized, I mean, by the time Beg the Differ came out, it would stylize into what you were saying, a groove metal thing, which we had a lot of the bad brains, and I don't know, it just uh, by accident and by God's will of sorts, we came up with that. But again, like you said, when grunge came around, it was over, you know. Because before grunge, everyone's forgotten, it was fair game, and it yes. was very exciting. Like, you didn't know where sounds could go. You didn't know. There, it, there was a lot more uncharted territory. Yeah. And it was a special on the New Music Seminar in New York. I guess Canadian, the Canadian Music Channel went down to the New Music Seminar and they focused on you guys, Guar, who had yet to break, Raging Slab, wow. and uh, a couple of other bands that I can't remember. But it was you guys who stuck out to me. But also, you were also billed as Tommy from Prong, but also you're the sound man of CBGBs. That's what they, that almost led, you know, how they billed you in the in the piece because CBGBs was such a, hist- like, honored and, you know, revered place even back then. Yes. Yeah, I mean, some people today, I say, oh, well, you know, I worked at CBs for a long time, and I'm like, what? Where? Who? who what's that? But, I mean, the people in, uh, you know, uh, early... Millennials and you know Gen Xers know about it, but uh, yeah, I mean I, I worked there for four years, and the uh, the mixing of all the hardcore bands sort of was my highlight, and for four years, and you know I mean you mentioned Raging Slab, I mean they played during the week, I, I would mix them, and then Living Color, and there was a lot going on back then. So Seabees uh, was a, was a great place. The Lower East Side of Manhattan was a happening scene back then. Yeah, and, and that's another thing is like that came up about a year before the Lola Palooza tour. You mentioned Living Color, and it was, and like I said, it's like we didn't know where it was going. It could like Susie and the Banshees, and yes. then the Rollins band, Butthole Surfers, and you know, whatever. And you mentioned Swans. I mean, it could be any, it, it was everything. We all listened to anything that was like off the beaten track. It wasn't codified as like alternative nation yet. Well, you know, it's really now you're getting me thinking because because uh, I saw so many bands and I'd also worked the audition nights back then and we were trying to think what what the next thing was right, right? I mean because we were part of the music scene 
and uh, uh, a band called Green River came through, oh, right. and uh, and we, I was like, you know what? I think this is where it's going. You know, not that I mean, Prong was not in that mode, but you know, inevitably that was Pearl Jam. I, you could sort of see where that that was the fusion, and where the, like labels were going to get interested in this new thing that was inevitably grunge, and you know, I mean, Nirvana took off like, I mean, like anybody that was smart got into Nirvana because it was almost like the Banana Splits meets punk, you know, which the Banana Splits was like this cartoon show that we all grew up with. So it uh, it had like this this great bubblegum quality, and um, that was it. When when that came out, that was they put the stamp on it. But we saw a lot of bands coming through. And we didn't know what was going to happen, but when we saw Green River, uh, I think that was when I knew that you know that was the next thing. Well, it's interesting you would focus on that band because even at the time. They weren't really even known. Like I, I would put Prong above Green River for that Absolutely, era. Like yeah. in terms of like, you know, people knowing who you guys were. You see, the thing with Prong, I mean, not to stroke, but it was a little too dangerous or something for for a lot of for radio uh, people at that time. And you know, that, that was what they needed was something that could be on, uh, infused into American classic rock radio. So you know, knowing that. With the dying out of the hair bands that were dominating the scene on, on rock radio, you know, that was the next thing was, you know, put these guys in flannel shirts and, you know, change the lyrical content and then you'd have it. That was sort of what, you know, your Alice in Chains and, you know, the countless candle boxes, et cetera, that happened. And then, you know, then, and then you sort of had new metal, which... You know, Prong sort of broke a lot of ground for, and by that time, by the time the new metal uh, uh, craze was happening, I was like disgusted with Prong and didn't want to do it anymore. So it's like we were pretty ahead of our time for that, you know, in the 90s, late 80s. Yeah, I, I felt you guys were ahead as well, um, especially with those first two albums, and then everything kind of came together for Beg to Differ. Like, so, yes. you know, we were playing like last year, no, two years ago. We were in um, Antwerp, Belgium. We were playing a show, uh, and there's like, I don't know how many people, there's a guy wearing a Beg to Differ shirt. I don't even know if you know that these shirts exist. Yeah, and we're selling them again, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. we brought them back. Yeah, like it's just the whole album cover, yes. like one big mm-hmm. And I pointed them out in between the songs, and I was like, whoa, dude, that's fucking cool shirt. You know what's your, you know, like my favorite, that's my favorite prong album. Then I, we started, and then I, and there's like all these people waiting to hear the next song go like oh, fuck all these people man let's have like this fucking discussion on prong because i just i couldn't i couldn't not see it it just stands out so much that's like so the beg awesome. to vivid really yeah funny yeah look, and and that's the thing is like i just for me beg to differ is one of those albums and i have to admit i spun it after i got your email i mean okay. I'm, i hadn't heard in a few years i'm like fuck this is gonna fucking happen because i think we talked about doing this like Maybe three years ago, yeah, absolutely, or four years ago, around Hellfest, the yes. last time I saw you. Yeah, um, but of course, you know, it just couldn't happen. There's like right. fucking so much shit going on around us. But um, so getting hyped up on it, I I I, I listen to Beg to Differ, and yeah, it's like there's some real fucking. Yes, a very metallic kind of influence on there, and very streamlined to a certain extent, very powerful and very concise, but. There's shit like Prime, what is it, Prime Cut and the, the instrumental. Like, those tracks, to me, were my standout tracks for the record because, yeah, this is where the band was taking it, you know, to a weird, to an odd, yes. weird yeah. way, you know. That's, that's what 
made me the prong. I was a thrasher. I love thrash, but these guys are different. And probably where I thought things were going. Sepultura did that too with like Arise on on later albums like that too. The problem. I mean, now you're getting me thinking. I mean, the problem with with those style songs was and uh you know i'm looking back on it and i mean those were my favorites and i think the band favorites were those like you know the ones that were weird and uh that were just out of you know just something that was just like you said like more dangerous like i said earlier but being on a major label it was like you know the pressures of management etc you know definitely infiltrated on a lot of ways and like we can't market this stuff you know like you know, we have to market you as like a thrash metal band. Yeah. And then I was like, what? And then, then so we rejected that. And then you know, we, we said, well, we're going to be sort of like a punk metal band, like I'll prove you wrong. And then they will, they, they certainly didn't know how to market that. And then finally, by the time, you know, Cleansy came around where we were like, you know, we're just going to strip this thing down completely and like completely throw the, the thrash metal thing out the window. That's sort of where they were like, Okay, you know, maybe we could do something with this. So, you know, we're always trying to like manipulate ourselves and uh, streamline it and trying to figure out what to do and without net with doing songs that we wanted to do and and uh, and 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 sort of uh, break some molds and. move away from formulas uh, that was something that prong always when we started getting formulaized that that's when when and i'm still like that that's when i'm like ah, i felt like that internal uh discomfort that you start getting and um you know that that's where we're always fighting as artists you know the same thing when you start getting into this when you get to that point you're like and when that's why when I, I you know i took a hiatus and quit i was like you know we tried everything you know i'm not going to move in the direction that you know, like label people and like, you know, radio people want to hear. And I'm like, fuck this, you know, this is bullshit. I'm going to do, I wanted to do something even more dangerous, you know. So like, you know, I was like listening to like Gaba Techno and, you know, started fooling around with Cakewalk and a sampler for a while. And, you know, I, I come in demoing stuff that no one was interested in after a while. And then, you know, then by the time I knew it, I was like, you know, somebody called me up and go, gee, this band Static X. I'm like, no, I don't listen to anything that's going on. Like, well, they, you know, they're sort like prong and i'm like then i hear all these bands like you know that are like have this cleansing type material on there i was like oh my god i missed out you know like finally i was like i was almost trying to get a job at a, at a fast food restaurant at that point and like these bands were like selling millions of records yeah and i think people should know that you know if you like all those bands and <clears throat> i gotta say i don't necessarily like them and and uh not no diss to them like right. And when I, when, you know, we, we actually played a, a show with Static X once, and I could see where the prong influence is, but that's not prong to me. Like, no. the groove is uh, prong, but it's not, you're not getting the whole picture. No, you're not getting the picture because it was formulaized, and it was, it was conceived, and, uh, I mean, it was, there were major label outfits of sorts where, I mean, prong was, you know... Uh, came really did come from the streets i mean we had nothing i mean we we're all just a lower bunch of lower east, east side lunatics that 
you know, sort of got lucky and, you know, created a bunch of attention and that's what it was. It wasn't something that was put together. And the thought back then of a band like Prong being on a major label was unheard of. I mean, when we got approached from Epic Records, we were like, what? This is like, was the most bizarre thing we ever thought. We were just lucky. We were just happy to put out, get somebody with, uh, you know, a thousand bucks to put in for our first, you know, uh, EP, you know. So it, it went like, and then it went to our heads and this, we went crazy, you know. It's like, you know, I mean, we were kids, so but, it was, it was a weird situation. Like, there's there's a million miles away from, like, Swans to Static X, but when Prong <laughs> came out, like, the first two albums, and then Beg to Differ as well, reading all the material on you, because of Ted Parsons, yes. it always led with Swans and Swans. So at when I was in high school, I got this... I read this, I have this magazine where they basically laid out the top 100 noise bands, and and I was really lucky to find that. And one of the bands was the Swans. And and so when I saw Swans attached to Prong, I said, okay, you know, I've, I'm kind of getting tired of this thrash metallic kind of formula thing with the, the high tops and the, it's just starting to be yeah. stupid. And here come these, this metallic band that fuses this this kind of heralded you know noise band swan so that was the bridge for me and i always i always put you guys on a level where you aren't part of even though you're on this testament tour but you're not on this kind of thrash 80s thrash you're you're i would at the risk of sounding arrogant i think you guys are above that in a way like or different if if that you know like that's how i see prong even to this day i put you on a kind of a a different level yeah i mean i appreciate that uh, uh you know i wish everyone had that same opinion but it's like you know uh it, it's a battle it's always been and, and it's just you only could be who you are and um like i did not grow up like uh learning and figuring out uh I, I mean, let's go back a ways, but you know, I didn't. I didn't grow up completely on metal, and uh, my background is really diverse. And uh, you know, like I was, an, I was really was an old punk rocker, and I, I was hanging around on Lower East Side since I'm like 13 years old. So, you know, I would go, I would wait online for the Ramones and all this stuff. So it's not in my blood completely, although I always like metal too. But. Uh, you know, like you know, it's just who I who we were. I mean, like I would listen to the Stooges record and then listen to Yes. You know, so uh, we didn't. I didn't really feel. Ne we we sort of took the metal thing and sort of played with it. And um, you know, I mean, somebody that really did that successfully was like Rob Zombie, who I mean, he he was he just took that metal thing and like he saw that that prong was doing the same thing. But we weren't from that from that. The Lemoors in Brooklyn was a where you know Anthrax and Overkill were hanging and were popular. It was a completely different world than where we're from. Unfortunately, the world that we're from is completely dead, and no one even knows about it. That's what I was saying earlier. I tell the people CBGs are like, huh, like. What what's that? You know, I mean, that's that movie that they it's did. A t -shirt. That, yeah, it's a T-shirt, exactly. Yeah, I see that T-shirt. I always wonder what the hell it is. I'm like, oh my god, these kids. But um, <laughs> it's like, you know, but uh, that was that world is done. You know, and like you said, it was a little period there of crossing into everything. And people say crossover. Well, you mean DRI? No, I mean like. Just the cross between my bloody Valentine, Swans, 
uh, Urge Overkill and, you know, and Thrash Metal, you know, and that's, and Killing Joke, which was, is still to this day, is my favorite band. I mean, like, you know, when I came in and started doing a prong, I was like, yeah, I'm into Killing Joke, you know, I was like, really? I was like, and then Mike Kirk was like, what about Discharge? Like, I love Discharge too. And then what about New York Hardcore? Yeah, well, I like Chromax and, you know, uh, you know, Blood Clot, and even before that, uh, you know, it was uh, a heart attack, and you know, we go back into Von Elmo and all these, and the and Misfits and all this New York stuff. So, uh, you know, we were there, and you know, I, I never really grew up in like the metal scene. So, there you have it. Well, that's yeah. I've always felt that you, you if if you aren't, you should be a little frustrated because sometimes Pronger put into a solely metal category, but knowing you, you've got this whole background in punk rock. Someone who who I feel is caught in those two worlds as well as Glenn Danzig. Yes. And then it makes sense that the two of you kind of hook up. When I saw that you're playing for Glenn Danzig, I was like, well, I, maybe they had a sit down and they realized they're both from, they have the similar background in two worlds. I don't know how that happened with you and Glenn, but it's been a long time. You've been playing with Glenn for a while. I must say, Danko, you're like probably the smartest interviewer I've ever dealt with. To teach you to recognize that is remarkable. Well, I feel that too, being in a rock band. I love punk and I love metal, but people see me as just this kind of lowbrow rock guy who loves like, I don't know, low, uh, you know, like fucking, you know, le Stairway to Heaven or, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like it's more than that. The, the masses is something that, you know, I'm not going to knock the masses, but... You know, uh, they, it's a whole other thing when you start bringing in uh, the way labels and, I mean, I mean, record labels and the way they label and they try to market things and now, like, the diminishing vehicles for promotion and how they categorize stuff. I mean, like, it, it's, it amazes me when Danzig is put into a metal category because, I mean, Glenn is definitely not a metal guy. I mean, like, he, and he's not just a punk guy neither. I mean, you know, Glenn is into a lot of different stuff. I mean, we you could tell the Roy Orbison thing. You could tell, you know, Elvis. But I mean, he's a huge fan of of uh, obscure British uh, and garage band music. And I mean, the the whole Nuggets thing. You know, he's massively into that. And uh, you know, people don't get it. They don't know where he's coming from. And you know, and Glenn is such a strong guy. And that you know he he's he doesn't care, like he's like you know like he he really just does what he does and you know and and the fact that people don't recognize you know what the origins of all this he's like you know fuck them you know, uh, so you know I think that that connection is without a doubt one of the reasons why he keeps hiring me because like you know I know the you know the, those uh, the you know. Uh, the old original glam bands, you know, Sweet, and you know, and then like the metal that was cool, which in in, in our book was early Deep Purple, you know, like he's like you know Book of Talison, that's the best Deep Purple record ever, and I was like I I don't and people are like you know you talk to real metalheads they never even heard that record, and that's with Rod Evans and you know and like Rod Evans is a huge influence on on Glenn you know so. You know, we're talking about obscure stuff to the masses that, you know, have been sold, you know, just, just this classic stuff continually, 
and uh, you know the power of of the labels and you know the big marketing. I mean, look at like Five Finger Death Punch. Look how huge they are from just being marketed correctly. And you know that, that it's it's a it's anything beyond that is a void and has been canceled in an Orwellian type fashion from people's psyche. Well, just listening to that Skeletons album he put out last year, you're on that record? Yeah. Um, Did you have... Some of those are really super obscure (laughs) tracks that I had to go and find out to listen to the original. Well, it, it's it's That's from him. Well, Glenn is funny. Yeah, I mean, Glenn is funny. He he, he on, on, and on the other hand, he he has some weird uh, 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 illusion that that that. Well, everyone knows that song, and I was like, you know, it's like <laughs> like uh, and and you know, like Action Woman. Like I know it because we I listen to Nuggets, like right. you know, which is a compilation of garage band of, of like one hit wonders throughout the '60s. Uh, you know the, the the biggest one if people don't know that was Paul Revere and the Raiders uh, and uh, you know he didn't want to do a Paul Revere and the Raiders song but you know like that whole compilation it was definitely for 70s punk rockers was like the the uh, litmus test for a lot of early punk rock you know the Stooges especially so but he thinks that everyone knows this stuff but you know and he doesn't care he just wanted to do songs that he wants and that's it you know like I didn't have any, you know and you know just to clarify with any Danzig stuff that you know that I work on I mean that's Glenn's project and I help him out you know like I try to help him out and you know I try to make his dream you know come true and you know um, you know he appreciates that when skeletons came out there is talk online I read I think it's even on the Wikipedia page there's another covers album that's not like was supposed to come out it's not coming out instead because Danzig's on our label in Europe they're putting out a new Danzig album like there's, there's a new, new Danzig yeah. record there's a new Danzig record that the single just dropped the other day and then it's uh, called Black Laden Crown is the album that's coming out soon and then he's got uh, an, an Elvis covers that's record what, yeah that's what yeah, I that heard. I worked on a lot on was that was it supposed to come out this year? yeah I mean he, it, it's, I think it's pretty much done so I don't know. I think he's gonna. He's sitting on that for a while, and um, you know that's like uh, it's definitely a Danzig interpretation of of Elvis song. So it's it's pretty out there. Really? Yeah. Because I think that's what everybody's kind of, you know, when they when you hang out with your friends and you you just toss around ideas. Danzig does Elvis is something I'm sure a lot of people have talked about. He should do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, but again, you know, like people always because Elvis is a big figure, and they connect Elvis with 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 Glenn. But um, um, there's a lot of other artists that he's put into his style, and right. you know, as artists, as you know, you know, we pick and choose, and you know, we model, and we we uh, take from different sources and you know we make something and put that into our own psyche and make something out of it and you know uh, that's the most obvious one is Elvis but I mean mean, as knowing Glenn I mean there's there's a plethora of vocalists that he attributes is you know and and I could say some other ones like I mentioned Rod Evans that that, you know he's even more but I mean but no one's gonna be responsive to you know Glenn does Rod Evans you know so you know it's like uh, you know that's the more obvious thing so he went with that you know I mean and um, as far as anybody I've met I mean Glenn knows every Elvis song 
he knows every Elvis movie and can tell you the plot on all 60 of them. And, like, you know, I mean, his memory of what happened and, you know, is unbelievable. It's absolutely incredible. And that includes professional wrestling, too. Like, he, he just knows everything about professional wrestling that you could possibly imagine, and comic books. Right. And, like, he'll tell you, like, you go, Spider-Man 16, and he'll go, oh, yeah, that's what, you know, like, Craven the Hunter or whatever, you know, like, it's, it's just bizarre. Wow, wrestling I did not know. Oh, yeah, he's a, he is massive, like, his knowledge All the way of up to... Wait, oh, yeah, no, I mean, the whole deal from beyond, you know, I mean, he's older than me, so he knows these guys from, like, like the 50s. But does so. he know the new guys? Oh, yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's big on it. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. There's, there's this time in 2011, Danzig was playing Rock on the Range in Columbus, Ohio. You were there. I, I played on it. Yeah, and then I ran into you. I seem to run into you everywhere. Yeah, I know. And I just that. go, hey, hi, in Columbus, Ohio, or Helsinki, Finland. Well, Danko Jones plays everywhere. I mean, you know, like, you go to festivals in Europe, Danko Jones. Every, every festival, you know, I mean, you're so hugely popular that it's like, it's everywhere, so. Well, I kind of felt I was becoming, like, your tick. Because every time I see you, I make a beeline. There's Tommy Victor. Hey, Tommy, how's it going, man? <laughs> That's all I do. Because the first time we met was when we played in O2 at this Visions Magazine Festival. And that's when I first met you. I'm like, hey, man. Hey. Was I a ministry? No, it was Queens of the Stone Age and... Uh, Oh, Us yeah, that's right. and you guys and Millionaire. There's like five yeah, bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was an indoor festival yes. inside a club. God, I and you guys were just making a comeback, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, so this happens for like the next two years. I see you either with Prong or with Ministry at some festival. And then there was one time in Helsinki, you guys were in a limo. The band was in the limo. I don't know where Al was, but it was uh, Joey Jordison yeah, was yeah, there, yeah. and uh, Paul Raven was yes. there. And Paul Raven spent time in Toronto. He he yes, lived in right. Toronto. He lived yeah. When, when he joined Prong, he was living in Toronto, and you know Raven Raven being the bass player uh, in in Killing Joke, and um, another weird thing with Prong. I mean, like uh, Troy, our bass player on Prove You Wrong, quit. He wanted to do a solo thing, so. Uh, we were like, you know, I, I was writing all of Cleansing, which was Snap Your Finger, Snap Your Neck, and we still, it was just Ted and I, and we didn't have a bass player. And, uh, you know, we actually, Danny Loner was supposed to be the bass player, and then he goes, I'm in, I'm just going to audition for Nine Inch Nails, and then he wound up getting that gig. So so then Raven is just like, oh, he calls me up and goes, I heard that, you know, Danny, you, you were going to have Danny in the band. He's like, well, how come you never, you never fucking called me, motherfucker? I'm like, you would play with Prong? I was like... I mean, the guy from Killing Joke, and I'm like, and I'm like, what are you fucking kidding me? And he's like, I'd fucking do it. And he's like, so we flew him down from Toronto, and like, he was like, I'm in, man. Like he, you know, so that was like, wow, that was a weird, you know, sequence of events. Well, I get back into like the comebacks. I mean, we've always had these little comebacks, and then I wind up playing with Ministry, doing so we have like another six-year hiatus. I will go back to Glenn, I have another four-year one. Last five years, I mean, we put out, you know, four records in five years. So. Yeah, that's why, like, when I heard from you and you were coming through town, it wasn't, to me, it hasn't, it's not that big of a surprise, because lately I've just seen you, your name, Prong's name around more often than in the last 15 Canada's been hard because, you know, everything comes over as, a, as an import here, being on a German label. So Canada's been tough for us. 
to make the resurgence. But I mean, it's more in America and Europe. You see it more. But it's easy now through you know the internet. You could easily get. Yeah, no, I mean it is easier. But I mean, we saw that last night. A lot of people going like you know, you know, it's hard to get your records up here. Yeah. Well, um, so like I was saying, I, like I'm kind of like, I I felt like I've been your tick. Like I'm kind of I've been bothering you every time. That's how I felt. This is just playing in my own head but then when in Helsinki when you guys I saw you in the limo and it was you Joey and Paul Raven because he was from Toronto and I guess he had seen the buzz here on our band just because it was local and regional oh, yeah no he was always talking about you he's like, he like fucking Daniel Jones motherfucker yeah I was like yeah Yeah, and then he, he goes hey man you're Daniel Jones and then he leaned over and we shook hands and I kind of looked at you going see see Tommy <laughs> so like I'm, I'm not that know, big of a tick that's right I know and he was like you don't know fucking Daniel Jones he was like you know was like, he's amazing you know you know another big fan of yours was Alexi who played in, in Prong for a while and he was like oh my god Danko, you know Danko oh, Jones? Yeah, yeah. yeah he, massive fan. Massive. Actually, the last time I saw him, I'm like, shit, this stuff is amazing. Oh, like, we were listening right. to it on, we had a, we were traveling in a van, and he was like, you know, he was like, you gotta, so. He was, he was in the band when I last saw you at Hellfest in yeah. 2012. Well, he had some experience in Canada because he was playing with Three Inches of three Blood. Inches. So I think that, I mean, the Canadian connection was there, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. So that was the last time I saw you. But then when I saw you with Paul Raven, and he he reached out and we shook hands, and we met there in Helsinki in that in that limo. Right. I was like, all right. So next time I see Tommy, I'm just gonna fucking. <laughs> so I think I did that. You have one of those great memories too, because I, I I I now I remember it. You know, yeah. I could see it in my head. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that so I'd see you for when we play with Ministry and 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 then the Danzig thing when. Uh, I saw you on Rock on the Range in Columbus. You, I remember you were like, hey, you want to meet Glenn? Well, I'll take you on the bus. And I, and I remember going, uh, no. <laughs> I turned it down. I was so nervous. And you're like, what? You don't want to meet Glenn? Like, you love Glenn. And I go, uh, that's why. Bye. I, I didn't do it, man. I took photos of your fucking, I took photos of Danzig uh, tour cases, oh my God. but I didn't fucking I didn't do it. Well, I understand you. You know, a lot of times when I when I when when I do stuff like that, it always blows up because uh, the same. I mean, in all the years, Joey never met Glenn Jordison. I mean, Joey. I mean, it was some Slipknot. So um, we were on tour. His band. Um, God, I'm sorry, I don't remember. But uh, 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 Scar the Martyr. We're opening oh, okay. up for for Glenn, and we did we and. Um, uh, it was like two weeks into the tour, and they were opening for Danzig, and I was like, "So you, you talked to Glenn yet?" And he's like, "No, man. I, you know, I'm, I, you know, like, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what to do." And I'm like, "Dude, I'll take you on the bus, and you know, like, you know, Glenn would like, I'm sure, to to love to meet you." And then I was like, "You know, I brought Joey on with Glenn." And uh, and they're like, hey, how you doing? And it was like sort of uncomfortable silence for like like two minutes. I was like. This isn't going too well, and I was like, ah, it's like so. That's pretty funny, like, and it's like, oh, okay, well, see you later. And it was like they they were sort of like didn't know what to say to one another. Yeah, like I I, I could play that out in my head, yeah, and I'm just like, it, it could go either way with them. Yeah, yeah if, you know, everything I've read or heard about him, that's how I feel. But then I flew down to Philadelphia to see those last Sam Hain shows, with with. Uh, 
with Steve in London. Pete, Pete from yeah. Baroness was there. Yeah. And so London invited me. And so I go, so he goes, you want to meet Glenn? And I'm like, and midway through the show, they have technical problems with, I think Pete's guitar was, I don't know, short circuiting or some right. shit was going on, pissing Glenn off. And I'm watching going, I flew down from Toronto to Philadelphia and watching Glenn get pissed off on stage. I'm like, I'm not going to meet Glenn tonight. And true enough, after the show, London takes me backstage. He's like, blah, he's gone, man. He's, he's, he's on the bus. He's pissed. And I go, oh, I saw what went down. I understand. But then London was just like, fuck it. Like, you flew down here. Let me see what happened. And he started, Glenn was signing shit, but he would just like give it to someone to pass out of the bus. But I finally met Glenn, like, and I introduced myself and he goes, I've heard of you. And that, and that was it. And that was enough for me. I was like, this is amazing. He's heard of me. That's that so enough. funny. So, yeah, that, that was it. And I go, because I was like, fuck it. I got to meet Glenn because I turned it down last time with Tommy. But well, I would have loved to have done the. I mean, like, I on the Legacy uh, shows, they wanted me to play guitar on that because I did the Legacy ones right. where we did um, Misfits, Sam Hain, and Danzig. And. Um, Take it for its worth. I mean, like I enjoy playing the Sam, the Sam Hain stuff better than anything. Because I mean, when that Initium record came out, and I I always remember I was at CB's, and um, I know somebody made a cassette for me, and I was playing it like because not only is when you're the sound guy there, you're the DJ too. So like I play I, you know, I was like I love that Initium record, and. Um, then I was excited about the Danzig records that came out after that, but I enjoyed playing that so much. I would have loved to have done that those Samhain runs because, um, you know, those were really cool. But Prong had already booked a tour and I couldn't do oh, them. I see. But uh, you know, like I, I, you know, those, so it those... wasn't it wasn't about like only having the guys who were in the, yeah, because they got Pete and they could have gotten you easily. Yeah, so I couldn't do. Oh right, because you know. Steve in London were on yeah. the records, yeah. and Johnny Kelly was just in the parking lot outside. Yeah, no, yeah, so he I was thought. A, well, Zing played drums on it in, in London, and um, you know, I guess uh, you know Erie didn't want to do it, and uh, they had a plethora of other guitar players, and I, I can't that that and they had guys um, filling in here and there. So, you know, uh, Glenn played guitar on all the records. So, uh, you know, like I, the Glenn wanted me to do it too because again, it's that connection too because I was there at the time, and like you know, this this not you know, Glenn's like into this authenticity. It's like, you know, like uh, you know, who goes back that long? You know, like me, even you know, so that that would have been the obvious choice. Well, I mean, you've got the chops. No one can deny that you could come in and do those those sets. But the one thing about it that I've always been aware of is uh, London is London, Steve, Johnny, you. You look at all four of you guys with Glenn, and then you add Erie and John Christ to the mix. When you look at all of you guys, no matter how good I am on guitar, no matter how I know the Danzig catalog, one look, look at this. I, it, I don't got the look, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, right. I'm the guy, I'm the sixth stone, you know what I mean? Yeah, With yeah, on yeah. the um, Ian Stewart. Well, I, I mean, you know, like I always feel uncomfortable because John Christ is like this hulking, you know, like, you know, like good looking, look like a football player up there, almost like Doyle or something. So like I'm, I just have to roll with it. I mean, like you know, like I've, I've always, you know, no one can replace John Christ in dancing. I mean, this, this, that's like. Uh, impossible. So, you know, like, I try my best, you know, like, you know, Glenn likes me doing it, but, like, I would never think that, you know, uh, 
you know, <clears throat> that I could actually replace him. You but know? there's a look. You guys all have that look, that muscle-bound, long black hair look. It fits in with everything that, you know, he's kind of built. Absolutely. And I, and I, I watch it. I'm like, yeah, I can never, no matter what happens, I could never get up there unless I, you know... Join the hair club for men or some shit. <laughs> it's, 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 I know it's, it's a, a tough plug. thing. It's it really is, you know. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, I'm sorry about going on about Danzig a lot, but you are an integral part now of of you know the last what 15 years of Danzig material. Yes. Um, something that stands out that's kind of puzzled me is he put out this Danzig Elvis special that I've seen like yes. twice. Um, but it's never been released, and it was never widely publicized. And you're part of that when yeah. they do the whole 68 comeback special. What is that? Because I don't know anything about it past watching it twice. And why isn't it going to be released? Like, why was it just online? I don't get it. See, those business side of things and <clears throat> promotions, etc. And like, when, like even when records are released and. And videos, stuff like I have nothing to do with it with with with, with Danzig. With, you know, that's all Glenn's thing. So I really don't. Have, I, w I wish I could be helpful. I, you know, maybe you know, uh, uh, Glenn wanted it to be that special where you know it was obscure or something. So I really don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, because it was like you read about it with a link. I watched it. You know, I watched it a couple of times, and then that was it. And it was—I thought it was really well done, especially the the circle with with you guys. Right. And I was surprised how much they left in there because he like basically ch like loses a tooth, he loses a tooth <laughs> on, on stage, yeah. which I guess is a good omen. I, I'm not really sure what that meant, you know, I in terms of superstitions. But it was just such an interesting thing that just is just sitting there. Yeah, I don't know what happened to that. Uh, uh, whether he was displeased with it again or he didn't want, he, he thought it was just a moment in time and never wanted to pursue it or he's holding on to it for a later date or something. So you never know. Wow. Yeah, that's something I really wanted to figure out because, yeah, that's just really stood out. But, Tommy, this was amazing. Like, it just came to me like a gift in the air. Like, I just got back from tour, and here I am on your bus. This is fucking awesome. Oh, man, I'm glad that you showed up and did this, because, yeah, I mean, it, it's really cool. Yeah, talking about prong is, uh, is a fun thing for me to do. And, and uh, yeah, man, I mean, I could fan out on you like I have been since 2002, but I'm going to spare you. But thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Thank man. you, Danko. It was a real pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Such a disgust uh -huh.